Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome. We'll get started. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back, everyone else. Anybody here first time online joining us through Zoom? Welcome to you. Um, Buddhism is simple in some ways. There's a, a common saying that the Buddha said, I only teach one thing. I only teach the truth uh, of human suffering, that we all experience suffering, that it's a normal and uh, unavoidable experience. And as incarnation, there's suffering, there will be, there is suffering that goes along with birth and life and death. And uh, the Buddha's whole teaching, original formulation anyways, early Buddhism, is that there is a potential possibility to end suffering. And um, the tricky part, and the reason we call our My Meditation Center Against the Stream, is because in order to end suffering, we have to do something that's totally counter-instinctual, which is turn towards our suffering, rather than try to avoid it or bypass it or transcend it, but that the solution, the Buddha's solution was first noble truth, admit that you're suffering, acknowledge your suffering, turn towards it, and allow yourself to feel it and to um, investigate it and be present with all of the ways that we experience suffering, uh, emotionally, physically, um, both internal and external, the physical pains, the painful experiences of living in the world, the internal, emotional, afflictive difficulties of having a human mind that judges and compares and craves and resents. So the first noble truth is an acknowledgement. And most of us think like, okay, the first noble truth, that's like a it's Buddhist philosophy, sometimes misrepresented uh, as life is suffering. Um, I never, I've always not liked that. I always felt like, oh, that's sort of a misrepresentation because not all of life is suffering. My sense of the Buddha's teaching was Part of life is suffering for sure. All of us have some suffering in our life. There will be some suffering with our experience of, of incarnation of life. Um, but not that all of it's suffering. And a lot of times we stop at um, kind of believing the first noble truth. Like, does it make sense to you? Like, uh, and then sometimes we just stop at it. But 
and uh, many people see Buddhism as a philosophy rather than as a practice. And so the, the practice of the first noble truth is turning towards meditating on bringing mindfulness to how am I suffering right now? How is suffering manifesting in each moment? And um, of course, anytime we are craving for something, that's the definition of, of suffering, of craving, uh, creates suffering or anytime we're aversive to something. Like even just tonight, the temperature in the room, if you're here with us or wherever you are, um, you know, you might have a moment where it's like, it's too cold. I love to crank the AC. And you might have a moment where this is unpleasant and you're aversive to it. So by definition, anytime we're not in acceptance, at ease, at peace, content with the way it is, we're suffering, when we're rejecting it, when we're needing it to be different, when we're craving for uh, that sometimes subtle feeling of like, I would be happy if, which points to I'm not happy right now. <laughs> I would be happy if the chair was more comfortable, if the temperature was more appropriate, if the uh, lights weren't so bright, if uh, whatever it was, that kind of so suffering is everywhere from annoyed, stressed. Uh, it's not necessarily uncomfortable. It's aversive to being uncomfortable. Just because something pleasant, unpleasant is happening doesn't mean we have to suffer about it. It's only when we're meeting the unpleasant experience with resistance or maybe I fucking hate this. <laughs> you know, so there's different uh, levels of, of aversion. So we're going to do a meditation tonight on the first noble truth, which is a Tibetan Buddhist meditation called Tonglen, and it translates as uh, a receiving and giving, receiving the suffering, inviting it in, turning towards it, and meeting it, giving uh, compassion. The answer to suffering, to pain, the Buddha's solution, the end of suffering is when we learn to meet it with compassion rather than aversion and clinging and craving, but acceptance and compassion. And so it's much easier said than done. We can, we all have that idea. And I, I, I'd imagine that there's nobody here and maybe it's your first introduction to this perspective, but for the most part, I think everybody understands like, yeah, compassion is the answer. Rather than the suffering of hatred and aversion, it's learning to be compassionate. That's the answer. Um, but it's uh, easy to know that. I've known this for decades, but I can't do it all of the time. Some of you have known it longer than I have for, you know, 50 years, 60 years, knowing like, oh, I need to learn how to be compassionate. But it's so counter to our instinctual drives. It's so against the stream. It's not like you can just decide, I'm going to be compassionate. It's something, especially towards our own internal experience. It's one thing to be kind and empathetic and compassionate to others. But the ultimate goal is being able to bring that response to yourself, to your own mind, to your own body, to your own internal experience, as well as external, both in and out. 
So sort of long setup for we're going to do Tonglen and it's uh, about breathing it in and trying to meet it with compassion. So before I do the meditation, think of like five ways that you create suffering for yourself most days. What are your top 10? What are five ways that like you reject what's happening or crave for it to be different or judgment or uh, fear or, you know, like how do you, how does your mind create suffering for you most days? Stress, anger, anxiousness, self-centered fear, loathing, low self-esteem, insecurity. Like what does your mind, how does your mind hurt you most days? How do you create suffering for yourself? And now um, take a moment to turn towards somebody in the room, somebody that you don't know. Part of Sangha, rather than going right with your friend or pair up with somebody and you can give yourselves appropriate space. You don't have to get too COVID close to each other. You can have a couple feet. And then just report like five things to that person. I'll put you at home and put you in small groups. And just report, like, I judge myself, I crave for pleasure about a thousand times a day, I, I hate pain 10,000 times a day, um, you know, just report to each other. So go ahead and pair up and I'll put you guys. And all we're doing, no feedback, no conversation, just reporting your top five. Breakout rooms are coming. And here they come. I think you're going to have two or three. Go for it. I encourage you to join one. This is part of the class. Join a group. Report your suffering to each other. There's a there's a there's a guy back there all by himself. I think, or is he listening to somebody? Oh, okay. All right. All right.
Finding a way to sit that your body is upright and relaxed. Allowing our eyes to be gently closed and our bodies to be as relaxed as possible in the upright posture. Releasing any unnecessary tension around the eyes, jaw, shoulder, neck, chest, belly. Softening into the present. Reflecting on the truth of suffering in our lives. 
the wounds, the losses, Suffering is being met with adversity, pain, difficulty that we do not wish to experience. Suffering is losing things that we wish to keep, experiences, people things that we wish to retain. Suffering is living with a human mind that is critical. The judging mind. all of the ways that we crave and cling, try to control that which is not in our control. As we reflect on our lives, this incarnation, when was the earliest memories of unhappiness, of suffering? Knowing that all of us, even before cognition, memory began, we were babies crying in our cribs, suffering, uncomfortable. Many of us had very adverse childhood experiences, neglect, abuse. This practice is acknowledging what's true about our life's experience. We're not making anything up, just turning towards with the intention of compassion, of friendliness, of mercy. Bringing it to the surface where it can be tended to with our loving awareness, our kind awareness. When you notice your belly getting tight, remember to soften. Your jaw begins to clench or your brow raises. Continue to soften, to release physically 
the places in your body where you hold as an act of mercy, an act of compassion. As you reflect on the first noble truth, the truth of dukkha, suffering, difficulty, sorrow and grief, lamentation. stress and fear, the human condition. And now begin coordinating your breath, breathing in the suffering. Perhaps even just saying, breathing in, suffering. As you reflect on the difficulties you've experienced. Breathing out compassion. Softening the belly. The intention to meet your own pain. With friendliness and mercy. whether it's the early life wounds or just the stress of your day-to-day. Breathing in the suffering, the first noble truth. This universal human experience, we're all in together. Remember, as you do this practice, that you're not alone, and also that it's not your fault. Even the unskillful reactions, the ways that we've made it worse, it's not so personal, not your fault. There's no judgment or blame in this kind of practice. Sometimes it's helpful to add a visualization, breathing in the suffering of your life as dark smoke from a, like from a fire. Like a toxic fume of suffering that you're breathing into your heart center. And the heart center is your Buddha nature, bodhicitta, the compassionate heart mind has the ability to purify, to transform the pain and suffering of our life by meeting it with compassion. So as you breathe out from your heart center, it's no longer a dark smoke of suffering, but a light, refreshing exhale, clear.
the end of suffering comes through turning towards it, through breathing it in, through meeting it with the wisdom of compassion, and letting it go on the exhale, softening, let it go. Reflect on different times in your life, the heartbreaks, the failures, the lost relationships, breathe in the suffering, the pain of all the difficulties. the suffering of feeling ashamed or guilty. Of regretting our actions, our words. Keep softening your belly as you exhale as much compassion as you can in this moment. Sometimes it's just a intention and you don't feel much. Just saying the word mercy or compassion as you exhale in your heart, in your mind.
begin to expand from ourselves to our loved ones, just as we experience this noble truth of suffering. It's true for our friends, our parents, our children, our partners. Opening ourselves to the suffering of others, breathing in the acknowledgement, the willingness to feel the suffering of your near and dear. Breathing out compassion, mercy, for the suffering of your loved ones. If you are a visual person, you might even see them and see you breathing in the smoke of their suffering, dark, heavy, taking it into your body and exhaling clear light, purified, your bodhicitta, your compassionate heart. Tending to the pain of your loved ones. Like some sort of cool Buddhist superhero. Training your own heart and mind with each breath. Breathing in the suffering. Breathing out compassion. You might take a moment to reflect on your whole lineage, your ancestry, your parents and their parents and their parents. And generations of suffering human beings trying to raise each other. Many not doing a very good job passing their suffering on. Passing their confusion on. Breathe in the suffering of your ancestors. Breathe out compassion. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, both sides.
and beginning to extend beyond our personal, our own selves or our own families, to your friends, your community, the Sangha, a community of people who support you, taking refuge in the Sangha of suffering, unenlightened human beings. Some with more wisdom than others, but all of us together. We all have our suffering, our confusions. gradually extending outward in all directions, starting with the city or town location that you're in. Part of this is to open us to the universal truth that everyone has some suffering in their life. The difficult people are difficult because they're suffering. Breathing in the suffering of Los Angeles. Wherever you are, whether you're in San Francisco or Ireland, Colorado, East Coast, including this whole planet, the almost 8 billion human beings. Every single one having their own truth of suffering in their life. For some, it's more obvious. Easy. 
easier to see. This is a universal truth. It includes all living beings. We breathe into the heart, the suffering of the whole world. We breathe out compassion in all directions. Towards all living beings, not just the humans, the animals, the sky, the sea, the earth above and below, to the east and west, north and south. Ending with the loving kindness phrases, the heart practice phrases, sending out in all directions the wish for ease. May all living beings be at ease. May all living beings experience contentment and freedom from suffering. Radiating loving kindness over the entire world. with compassion for all of the suffering and appreciation for all of the joy. the last moment or two, just coming back to your own body, your own heart, your own mind with compassion and kindness and radical acceptance of ourselves just as we are, even if we're not very compassionate yet. Just accepting Right now, it's like this. I'm trying to be more wise, more compassionate, more loving, more forgiving. Just accepting ourselves right where we're at in the process.
as I said, it's quite simple. Just um, stop suffering. Have compassion for our own pain. Uh, practice is simple. The perspective is obvious, right? When you, I feel like most people you hear Buddhism, you're like, duh. <laughs> there's suffering, there's a cause of suffering. And when it's explained, it makes so much sense, but it's such a long term process of uh, creating these neuro pathways of a compassionate response. of training our heart and our mind and our, uh, there's that image of breathing it in to the, the heart, which, you know, in Buddhism, heart, mind, this word chitta, I said bodhicitta, it's like awakened. Chitta, chitta means it's this understanding that our mind and our heart, the emotions and the intellect are not separate. That it's completely connected. The, uh, the mind is the heart, the heart is the mind. It's not this sort of duality that we've often created for ourselves and that language doesn't help. <laughs> that there's two different words. And each time we breathe it in, we're creating this uh, neuropathway of responding with more friendliness. Each time we breathe out the compassion, each time we breathe in the suffering, breathe out the compassion. If your practice is anything like mine, uh, it took me some years of doing this, this practice and the other heart practices before I really started to um, get it, feel it, um, see a shift. Some people, maybe you do it right away and you're like, oh, finally permission to be kind to myself <laughs> and encouragement to be kind and to be compassionate. I feel like some people I, I see like the light goes on and they're like, this is awesome. Um, I know for me, uh, when I started doing these practices, I've, I felt like, oh, this is making it all worse. Turning towards my pain. I've been running from my pain my whole life and then stopping and sitting down and turning towards it, felt like, oh, this shit, this is kind of overwhelming. And breathe, trying to breathe out compassion, I, it was just totally fake in my early experience. I didn't have any compassion. I didn't feel any compassion. I was just doing it, doing the visualization, saying compassion <laughs> with a sort of sarcastic inner tone. Compassion, compassion, bullshit. And then after doing it for some months and some years, I'm starting to actually feel like, oh, wait, this is actually, there's something happening here. It's not, it's becoming more sincere. It's, it's starting, to, uh, starting to work. It's, I'm starting to actually care about myself and my own pain. Starting to actually care about other people's pain in a more sincere way, not a surface, nice empathy, but a deep uh, connection. So any discussion, questions, comments about this practice before I 
move on. Tonglen, suffering, meeting, meeting the pain and suffering of our life with friendliness, with mercy and compassion. Um, is it what you're doing? Are you finding some success with it? Where's, why is it so? Where's the challenges? Any, any discussion or questions about it? Uh, Rebecca, go ahead, unmute. <laughs> you should be able to just unmute yourself on the on your screen. I can maybe unmute you. Let's see. Nope, you still have to do it. There you go. Thank you, Noah. So it started off really nice, you know, like I was kind of uh, tipping into like work, like I get up and I feel a bit of anxiety and I breathe into it. And then whatever happened, I don't know if you can hear me. I can. It took me to a whole other fucking place there. So I'm like totally in my head now. So whatever happened, I literally felt myself completely disconnect from feelings. And I feel like a, like a tud in my stomach, like boom, 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 boom. And it's like, I'm not going anywhere near it. I can't, I can only breathe to like here. So, and it's like, a, so years ago, I done something that I like, I'm all shaky and shit now. So years ago, I done something that does, I completely forgot about, right? So I'll give you I'll give you the story, but I'm actually really fucking vulnerable going there and really embarrassed about it, too. And like it's left me like fucked. So my mom was married to a man years ago and he was, well, you know, Rebecca, I don't you don't need to give the whole story. I mean, I, I, you and I could talk sometime about it. I'm happy okay. to do that with you because we do talk sometimes. Um, right. OK, cool. But it's more just like, OK, this experience happened. Yeah. And you remembered it and there's a feeling of. So I've never, I've, I've like, I've no compassion for myself for what I done in my head. Yet. I am a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I completely forgot I've done it. I, I forgot I had done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, this is exactly what I was saying of like, when you start this practice and you've been doing it for a little while now. Yeah. It's not, you can't do it yet. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do it yet. And it would just bring it all up and be like, oh yeah, look at all of this suffering and all of the ways yeah. that I created this suffering and, and I can't do it yet. But if you yeah. keep applying this practice yeah, for months, yeah, we'll have this conversation next year and you'll be like, I'm less of a cunt than I used to be. Yeah. It's like, I, right? wow, I, I forgot I was that much of a cunt. Yes. <laughs> right. So um, yeah. like, it came up, it came up and yeah. it's, you know, uh, you've probably heard me say before that often meditation, there was somebody who said meditation is one insult after another. Yeah. Because often when we look at our minds, we see shit we don't want to see. Yeah. And when we do this kind of excavation practice of like, think about all of the suffering and the suffering of your ancestors. And you're like, oh shit, yeah. like here it is. Yeah. Well, that's like, honestly, like I sat down, I was breathing, I was feeling it. It yeah. was like, yeah, I started off feeling really proud of myself and my accomplishments and then five minutes later whatever you said it's like what the f holy shit i'm a fucking asshole i forgot i done that what the fuck 
prior to that, I was a, I was a legend. I was Buddha himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But this is the process, right? This is the process of of our practice of the first noble truth. It's a bumpy road, man. It is a a bumpy road. Healing's a bumpy road. It really is. Hundred percent. And so now there's another thing on the list. Okay, that's another thing to forgive myself for. To look at, yeah. To look at. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like what I done was really shitty, but I done it because I was in a shitload of pain. You know, I I can see that for what it is. But like I said, I'm very embarrassed about it. Like I nearly wouldn't want to say what I done. Like I'm very embarrassed. And I was only a teenager at the time. But like, uh, it doesn't sit well at me. You know what I done? It's like I I was a fucking cunt, like, (laughs) basically. They say um, in Buddhism, having uh, regret Mm. is a very healthy emotion. Yeah, okay. When we've reacted unskillfully to our pain and hurt other people with it that yeah. and it's very different than shame yeah right okay. it's very different than that judgment of i'm a bad person right which is what you're doing a little bit to yourself right now which is okay yeah. we, all, we all do that yeah, but yeah. Then eventually you'll come to a place if you you know these practices take us to a place where it's like oh i'm not a bad person i was just suffering and i acted yeah. really unskillfully in response to my pain and it hurt other people and yeah, I regret yeah. having done that. And I have forgiveness for myself and I have compassion yeah. for the harm that yeah. I've caused, but that's the trajectory. And yeah. in the beginning, there's that judging mind that just says you're a bad person. Yeah. Look, I think totally. Like I, the way, the way I see myself disconnect, the way I see myself go like up to there, like I can tell it's going to be like a fucking trauma. Like it's something else to look at in my childhood. So it'll take a while. I get that, but I'll just have to breathe into it and sit with it. But I can tell it'll take a while. Do you know what I mean? But thanks for thanks very much for ruining my night. You're you're welcome. Anytime. (laughs) Happy to uh, trigger your trauma. Any. That's why we come here. The shovel. Get the shovel. (laughs) Well, you know, there's some critique, and I've you know I've had some friends, therapist friends, and uh, of like, well, Buddhism isn't trauma informed, right? Because we're like, let's go in the deep end. And yeah. there's some truth to it. It's like, it's not really that trauma informed. We're trying to, but what it is, is it's a trauma resolution. It is, yeah. it's exposure therapy. It's if you keep turning towards it, you will get free. Oh, now, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of being gentle and, um, and, and tra- you know, trauma informed. I think that there's a place for that for some people where they just get too flooded and dissociate and, um, but my my what I also believe is that if we keep doing these kind of practices in whatever gentle way that we can, you know, you don't have to go um, snorkeling. Yeah, you don't have to go <laughs> snorkeling. Uh, that eventually these practices are trauma resolution. All of that yeah. stuff from our past is going to come up and it's going to be resolved because we're going to learn yeah. to meet it with compassion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Noah. Well, thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. I even threw Ireland in there for you with the. Uh, oh, I noticed I was present for that. It was later on I took the whip out. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Noah. Welcome. What did you mean by not being uh, trauma aware? Trauma informed. Trauma informed. Sorry, I'm not familiar with that. Um, well, so there's a, you know, in. There's a perspective in modern psychotherapy 
that kind of is a bit uh, tentative about doing things that will allow the trauma to come to the surface in a way that isn't very sort of slow and gentle and and held in a in a um, safe container. And so there's been critiques of the Buddhist meditation techniques of saying like you're just asking people to turn towards their suffering without you know, somebody that they're paying $200 an hour to listen to them about it. You know, like you're just like trusting human beings to feel their feelings. This is not trauma informed. Uh, and I know I'm being very dismissive about it, but that's what it means, right? Is that sort of uh, distrust of us being able to feel our stuff. And there is, you know, some people can get so triggered that they dissociate and and aren't able to stay in their bodies. And it's a little bit of what Rebecca was saying. It's like, yeah, it was so big that I just sort of left the building for a bit, you know, really, uh, but that's okay too. Then you come back and you're here and you're in the community and... Seth, go ahead. So my experience was kind of the opposite. And I've, I've been meditating for a while now, uh, not as a daily discipline yet, but like today, I've been grinding all day on a couple of guys that I work with. And these guys are about a couple of cubs, to be honest. And, um, Since it's been said, now it can just be said. <laughs> She's Irish, she can say it. They say it in Cleveland, too. Seriously, so what happened for me, Noah, was that when it got quiet and I was you know, following your guidance and I'm, I'm concentrating my breathing, this rush of adrenaline coming, pulling me into this problem. And, and I think, you know, it's kind of ironic because when things get quiet, that's when my mind starts to go. It wants to relive this experience that I've had all day, all weekend. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's very difficult to get into rhythm it's frustrating and how how about this kind of practice of um rather than trying to stop the thoughts and come back to breathing of just actually acknowledging like oh this is suffering mm -hmm. this resentment this challenge at work is the first noble truth this is my mind suffering at those guys and breathing it in like okay this is suffering and then trying to meet it with softening the belly because right, the, the mind goes into the story, the jaw gets tense, the belly gets tight, whatever, however you hold it physically, softening into it, watching the mind, rather than I, this, my mind can't do this, just allowing it, yep. Judging, anger, fear, whatever is fueling that, you know, kind of naming it, acknowledging it, and then meditating with it. Oh, breathing it in. Oh, I fucking hate you. Compassion, <laughs> right? And, you know, and, and may I, and I meet you with as much forgiveness as I can in this moment. Because that's, you know, that's the mind wants to, you resist it, it persists. You keep trying to cut it off and come back to your breath, it gets louder. 
So at some point you just say like, okay, this is just what's happening right now. Uh, ruminating on resenting, you know, these jerks at work or whatever it is. Um, allowing it, turning towards it. And try the Tong Len. Try to bring the tongue, you know, try to breathing it in, suffering thought. Sometimes I find some success in giving those repetitive thoughts a label. And so because the mind wants to tell the whole story over and over. And sometimes if you just gave it a, a name and it's like, you know, work resentment, you can cut it off. You know, if you, if you just say like, I'm paying attention, mind work resentment that's what you want to think about again the work resentment because you know and then sometimes just delaying it in the mind's like yeah yes okay yeah you caught me i wanted to think about the work resentment again <laughs> and it'll just relax a little bit when it's acknowledged work resentment for the 108th time during this meditation so sometimes naming it um is useful do you try that some have you tried that? Uh, no, yeah, try that. Let's, I find some success with that. Kind of can take some of the fuel out of the repetitive. Last thing that I'll say is part of what we learn in, my, in mindfulness is if you really start to look at like, well, why is my mind doing this over and over? And you can start to unpack, oh, it's trying to protect me. My mind that is making my present time experience stressful and fearful. And there's a function of my mind where it's trying to defend against something and protect me against something. And so you might even turn towards your own mind at times and say, thank you. Thanks for trying to protect me with this resentment. Thanks for trying to protect me with this uh, fear but I'm actually okay. You know, and having that sort of inner dialogue with that part of the mind. And it just says, I'm okay. And so, you know, I don't need to defend fear. It'll be okay. And sometimes that will relax those, it's, you know, when we don't meet it with so much resistance, it's, it's what the Tibetans would say, you know, uh, rather than trying to slay the demon and fight the demon and kill the demon, the dragon, whatever it is, they say, invite the demon in for tea. Rather than I, you know, I'm going to kill my fear and I'm going to destroy my ego and I'm going to stop my mind. They say like, hello, mind, would you, you know? Care for some crumpets? <laughs> Jonathan, go ahead and um, unmute yourself if you'd like. Yeah, thanks, Noah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, I love the Tonglen meditation. I mean, I remember the first time I did it, at, like, at a refuge meeting, it was, I was like, man, like, I'm a fucking alchemist. I'm, like, breathing in this smoke and, like, just the shit is changing. And I, like, really connected with it. I guess I've always just wondered, like, because as far as I understand, like everything else is like Theravada tradition. And like, what is it about this practice that, is it just because it works or something else entirely that you felt like it was important? Um, could you, everybody hear the, the question is, you know, why do I teach this? Like, I, I don't teach very much Tibetan Buddhist practice or philosophy, like this is one of the only ones, almost everything else that I teach is Theravadan based, which is like the Thai Burmese Southern school of Buddhism. 
Um, and so why do I why do I throw why do I why am I always throwing in this Tibetan practice? <laughs> uh, because there's you know mindfulness kind of gets us here. Um, vipassana mindfulness kind of gets us to the same place, but it's really easy to use mindfulness to avoid rather than turn towards just because. And so many people use the breath as an avoidance technique of like, oh, some suffering's coming up. Come back to my breath. And, and, and so this is one of those practices like, yeah, come back to your breath and breathe it in, turn towards it. And I believe, you know, this is, it comes in the mindfulness teachings around um, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. In the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha says, be mindful of the first noble truth of the four noble truths. But, uh, you know, so present time, non-judgmental awareness of suffering is part of Vipassana. It's part of the mindfulness practice, but it's just not spelled out in a technique quite as well as Tonglen is, where it's like, here's a way to practice the first noble truth with the breath, with meeting it with compassion. Um, so I just, you know, I felt like that too. When I learned it, I was like, oh, I can't do this very well. But I understand that this practice is going to teach me how to do something that I need to learn how to do. I need to learn how to meet my pain and other people's pain with compassion. And this is a practice of it, a development, a skill building uh, way to do it. So I've just, um, you know, also, this isn't all that conscious, but I, I like that um i'm not a thai buddhist um you know refuge isn't you know thai or burmese or even really theravadan like i'm a, an american buddhist and as an american um i'm heavily influenced by the theravada but i'm also influenced by mahayana and vajrayana and you know vietnamese zen and Korean Zen and like I've had all of these different teachings and Tibetan Buddhism that have been part of my 30 plus years of practice. I've taken all of these different teachings and I find that the Theravada makes most sense to me most of the time. But then there's these other things that was like, oh, no, wait, some of this Tibetan shit is really good. Some of it I don't like at all, <laughs> but some of it's really good, you know, and I feel the same way about some of the Zen teachings and some of it's so good. Some of it I don't like at all. Um, and in that way, you know, we're not trying to be religious and follow a Buddhist tradition of like, we are the Theravadans or we are the Mahayanans or we're the Vajrayanans. It's like, no, we're the American sort of punk rock Buddhist re drug addict recovery people who are going to, you know, take the Buddha's teachings and apply them in our life. And we're not so interested in being Buddhists. We're interested in being free from suffering, right? And not religious. You know, so I hope that makes sense. It does, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions in the room or comments? When you talk about meeting compassion, meeting yourself with compassion, I have a little bit of a disconnect there. It's, I can see someone on the street suffering and I can be empathetic if I've had that experience myself. Yeah. Um, when it's a closed loop and I'm dealing with my own suffering, it's very challenging for me to go to kind of be compassionate toward myself. 
it seems almost counterintuitive to do that. And when I go through the exercise, when I went through the exercise, what I was experiencing was maybe a laundry list of really bad shit that had happened, mm -hmm. all the things I'd suffered around that I can remember suffering, not reliving it necessarily. There were a couple moments I was like, oh, that sucked. I remember mm -hmm. that. But, but to breathe it out and say, now I have compassion for myself, it's, a, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. It is challenging. How do you have any success with, um, like what happens when you soften your belly or release the physical tension? I'm often given that instruction. It, it lets it flow. Yeah. It let, it, I mean, I, I can be conscious of what I'm, what I'm thinking about in terms of what I've suffered through and the experience that I've had. Mm -hmm. Those come up, well, those come up on a regular basis anyway. Uh, I, I'm able to sit with it, I'm able to think about it. Um, the compassion part of it, that is honestly, you know, I, it's, it's really challenging for me because if I have compassion towards someone else who's suffering, it feels like an act, it, there's usually an act associated with it. I'm right. coming to see you in the hospital. I'm coming to bring you your favorite blanket or a snack or, you know, Check I'm out. somehow just going to sit here and listen to you talk because me having compassion means I'm taking an active role in making, or trying to alleviate your suffering somehow through an action, through action oriented. Right. This type of compassion is more like, I don't know what to do for myself other than Thinking about my suffering, right? It's 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 a, that's where the disconnect is for me. Is is how do, how do how do I show myself compassion in a proactive way? Right. I, I love the question. I think that this is important. Um, we tend to have a, a definition, like you're saying, of compassionate action, which means doing something to try to alleviate. The Buddha's karuna, what we translate as compassion, uh, isn't necessarily that. I'm, when I'm saying compassion, so some of its definition, um, think about it more as caring rather than doing. Now, sometimes when you care, you do something, right? You care and you can, and so you're of service and you bring somebody something and you protect somebody or you know whatever it is, there's, there is compassionate, caring actions. But when it comes to internal, uh, the the goal is to just care about your pain. There's a tendency, the, you know, the the way that we suffer is that I we don't care about our pain. We hate our pain. We hate the, what we've experienced. We resent it. We despise it. Whatever it is. Um, and so, what we're trying to learn is, can I just be with it? And that's where, like, physically, I notice when I'm in resistance, my belly gets tight, or I start clenching my jaw. And when I release my jaw and I soften my belly, there's a quality of that's a compassionate act of allowing myself to be with and care about rather than resist and try to suppress or avoid. So softening is an act of compassion, relaxing into. Right now, it's like this with this really unpleasant feeling. And it's an act of compassion to just tend to it and be with it, not avoid it, not turn on the TV or you know do something to distract myself from it. But in meditation, I'm just being with it. It's an act of caring, of friendliness, of, of uh, uh, developing warmth towards rather than a cold indifference towards our own pain.
rather than a judgment or a blame or a that sort of inner voice that says, you know, stop being a baby or whatever it says to you, however it judges you, of, uh, you know, developing that inner voice that in some way says to you, oh, it's okay. It's okay to be in pain. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be grieving. It's okay to be afraid. There's a, that's the sort of voice of compassion. Right now, whatever you're experiencing is, is acceptable and it's worthy of your own friendliness, of your own compassion. Um, and you said it was counterintuitive. It's fucking counterintuitive. There, we're not born with a I, part of the in the meditation. I said, you know, when was your earliest suffering? And then I quickly caught myself and said, like, it started before you remember. Like we were all children, infants, babies, crying and suffering before we even remember just going like, what the fuck? I need some boob right now. <laughs> or I'm cold or I'm just shit my pants or whatever <laughs> it was. <laughs> And that's, you know, that suffering began pre-cognitive, you know, pre-memory. And, um, and we didn't have a self-soothing mechanism. We didn't have a like, I'll be okay. Like mom will come along soon. And, you know, this is just an unpleasant duty in my pants. <laughs> this is just like, we didn't have that, right? It, our instinct was, make some noise, hate it, make some noise, maybe someone will come and help you, right? Maybe someone will come and compassionately be of service to you and like feed you and change your diaper and, you know, and so that like as infants and then as children, you know, the same thing. And then as adolescents, the same thing. And then we grow into these adults where we're doing the same thing of like, I can't tolerate discomfort. I have to fucking... You know, I don't know how to be friendly towards it. I don't know how to be, there's, there's no part of my survival instinct that is a compassion for myself. It's, there's no intuitive, like, I'm just going to be really loving towards my pain. There's a skill that we're building, and that's why I like to think of it as neuropathways. Buddhism ultimately says it's in us. Bodhicitta, I'm using that term, that awakened heart is there, but these practices are excavating it. It's buried, it's obscured, it's covered by that survival instinct of fight or flight or freeze. That cold indifference to our own pain that I, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to, or I don't know if you experience this, but so many people experience the, oh, I don't even feel worthy of my own friendliness. It feels indulgent. I. It, I should be of service to someone else. I should be compassionate to someone else, not me. So much of our Judeo-Christian conditioning has set up this, um, it would be selfish to care about yourself. You should be selfless. You should have no needs and you should just be altruistic towards others all of the time. And then you will wonder why we're so self-centered suffering because that's fucking impossible until you become a like, you know, saint Buddha. 
So Buddha, Buddhism takes us for other way and says, no, start from the inside. Learn to love yourself. Learn to have compassion and forgiveness for this being right here that you have the most influence over. And then model that for your children, model that for your friends, for your partners. Show people that it's okay to be friendly towards yourself from the inside and then be super compassionate and generous and bring the blankets and you know do all of those compassionate things. But from a place of I've learned to care about my own pain and then it makes our uh, compassion for others more genuine. I've heard some teachers say, they think that if you don't have true compassion for yourself, you're, what you are calling compassion for others is, is false. That you can't fully love and care about someone else if you can't do it for yourself first. Now, I would maybe argue with that a little bit. I think it's probably pretty genuine. You really love and care about other people, but you're just not that good of doing it for yourself. But I get it. I get that it's deeper, more sincere something when you really have it from the inside. And you can really model it and you can really share it. And so this is what we're trying to do. And it might take months and years and even decades of the practice before you get quite um, skilled at that kind of internal compassionate response. What's for sure is that if you don't do the meditative practices, it'll never happen. You can't read your way to it. You can't talk your way to it. You can't think your way to it. This is a skill that has to come from meditation. Without meditation, we're not gonna magically learn to love ourselves. It's training, neuropathways uncovering. Um, I'm biased meditation Buddhist. So of course I believe that, but um, that's what makes sense to me. Judy, please jump in. When you were talking, you know, I, I was like you, I've always had like a little bit of trouble understanding how to put into practice internally having compassion. All of a sudden while you were talking, my, both my kids were high end gymnasts and they were always in physical pain and they always had like ripped hands from the bars and all that. And, and I remember endlessly listening to their coaches talk them through having tolerance, resilience, and compassion for the level of pain their bodies were in. And, and, and you know, for years. And uh, I just suddenly realized, like, I can understand it that way, that instead of talking about it in terms of having that kind of compassion for the pain your body is in and being resilient to it and accepting it so that you can overcome it, I can suddenly turn that into, oh, wait, I can do that emotionally. I can do that. But like I said, I was not always having trouble with that. So I just flashed on that just now while you were talking like, oh, wait, I get this now. I do get this. It's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. it it's hard. That mechanism is hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Please, Kabuki. Question, thought. Um, for me, in the meditation, I found myself feeling very, very deep in the light at some point. And then I had a moment, almost as a work thought, about a moment where I didn't act very skillfully with someone, made them inadvertently feel a bit shamed um, in a bit of a public forum. And I think it was a vent. And it kept coming back to me. Um, and I've already processed why I did it. And I'm at peace 
not a piece that I did it, but I'm a piece that it happened, I understand it. But I do wonder if the fact that he keeps coming rising, the next step for me is to actually engage with the individual and sort of share and have a conversation. I don't know if that if that's sort of an extension where we feel like then coming back to sit, maybe that concludes the circle. I don't know. Uh, my sense is it's the, um, the, first of all, forgiveness for sure, do it in the forgiveness meditation, you know, ask for her for forgiveness or that, that, them. Um, and then absolutely appropriate to make direct amends and to kind of have that conversation and, you know, ask for, say, you know, I want to ask you for forgiveness for the way that I, you know, spoke or whatever it was. Um, and then sometimes it'll just take, in my experience, sometimes it'll like, the mind won't keep bringing it up. Sometimes the mind will continue to bring it up, but there won't be much charge behind it anymore. As you change your relationship to that thought, uh, it will come and, it, and you'll just be like, okay, yeah, I remember doing that unskillful thing and I forgive myself and I've made amends and, and your mind will be like, okay, whatever. You're... And then it might, but it might, you know, keep, it's sort of the voice of Mara, yeah. right? It's that voice in the, in the mind that's saying, remember when you were a bad person last week? <laughs> remember? And, you know, and, and if you haven't made the amends and done the forgiveness, then it can kind of get you. And you can go into guilt and shame and, you know, self, whatever. Um, but if you've done the forgiveness practice and you've made the amends, then your mind, you can, you can just say to your mind, yeah, I remember. And I made the amends. And yes, that was a regrettable action. And I, you know, and I forgive myself as much as I can. And I'm not a bad person. I'm unskillful sometimes, but, you know, it just takes all of the charge out of it. Um, take one online and then I'll come to you. Okay. Hi. Um, maybe I might have misunderstood what you said earlier about maybe the mind is trying to protect us when it's replaying this resentment story again and again and again and again at me. How can you explain to me what you meant by, because that to me does not, that to me sounds like it, it, it wants me to suffer. Yeah. More. So what did you mean about maybe it's trying to protect me from something? I have some sense that um, because our survival instinct is to avoid pain. And, you know, so when we have painful experiences that uh, there's something that the mind will say, Hey, remember how painful that was? Remember how painful that was? Don't you know, and so then it can be like with work stuff or with intimacy or uh, where the mind keeps saying like, hey, don't do intimacy. That's really painful. Don't don't do, you know, like remember how painful that is. Avoid it. Avoid these situations like avoid these. <laughs> and it's like, wait, you're fucking making my life so stressful to your own mind and making my life so small. Like it was up to my mind. I wouldn't leave the house. Right. Like it's dangerous out there. There's people and they're going to want to make eye contact with you. And, you know, <laughs> OK, I see. I see. So it's it, it's doing a, it's doing what it, it thinks is trying to protect me. But but it's 
Probably not because it's making no, it's totally dysfunctional, maladaptive, you know, like fear based mentality of the human survival instinct. It's this fight or flight amygdala, you know, kind of that. I had one Dharma teacher who he said, you know, there's that part of our brain that generates all of the sort of fears and cravings and, you know, can I eat it or fuck it or kill it or, you know, like that's, you know, just base animal part of our mind. And he said, you know, like 80, 90, if you're really watching your mind, all of the, you know, first noble truth, the suffering, all of the second noble truth, the craving, you'll see this, like, that's mostly what your mind is doing most of the time. But then we have this big, you know, kind of uh, evolved, you know, frontal cortex that our brain is uh, sort of making excuses for why I feel this way, you know, creating philosophies, psychologies, religions to explain why I'm in this eat, fuck, kill mentality most of the time when I'm really honest about what my mind is doing, which is craving, aversion, craving, aversion, craving, Right, which comes back to survival instinct. Okay, I did misunderstand you, and I'm not going to thank my brain for doing that, but I did misunderstand you. So thank you for, for clarifying that for yeah. me. I was like, la la la, maybe my brain is trying to help, but it's not. It's not. Well, <laughs> it is, but it is in a really dysfunctional way. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Please. So with the first. Uh, Exercise where we were sharing our suffering, and then the approach to do the blockade and go into it. I think I've done so much of that that I've realized maybe in the process of doing this that there's a potential addictive nature to suffering. And maybe you can speak on that. Um, say a little bit more. How, how addictive? How? Like just realizing that I continuously bring up what I'm dealing with, not always to people who could necessarily help me. So I'm like maybe crying for help or saying, this is where I'm at, but I'm not really able to do anything about it. And then realizing maybe I'm addicted to it. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, it does make sense. I, I hear that and in, in, in the kind of uh, addicted to the story or the attention or the, um, my sense is that the more that we do this kind of practice and the more we actually resolve, you know, and we can turn towards all of the pain in our life and the pain in our families with an understanding, with an acceptance, with a compassion, it'll take all of that charge out of like, I have to constantly retell these stories for the empathy, for the external compassion, you know, for the kind of uh, being seen when you really have been able to see your own pain and tend to your own pain, that it'll take some of that away. Yeah, I guess I'm sure, I mean, I, was, I kept thinking I got to put myself in this other person's shoes to be able to understand what was happening and why it went the way it went. Yeah. And then when I did that, I said almost, like in uh, trading places with Eddie Murphy, where it's like, now, you know, it's like, and then being addicted to that role of being the sufferer, or the one suffering. Yeah. So, yeah. From, you know, I don't know about addiction. Uh, if it's, 
kind of my, my own uh, definition of addiction is, you know, some kind of compulsive, repetitive behavior that's causing you and or other people harm. Uh, ultimately, with this kind of turning towards your suffering, it's not going to cause you harm, it's going to alleviate harm. It might cause you to experience unpleasant thoughts and feelings, but they're not harmful. It's actually healing because you're tending to them. And so this sort of excavation of the first noble truth of the Dharma uh, is not going to be addictive if you're actually doing it in a way that's resolving it and healing it and uh, coming to a place of being at ease with the reality of the suffering that you've experienced and you've caused. And, you know, and what Kabuki was saying that there's also this uh, fact, uh, um, aspect of forgiveness that's necessary. It's not just turning towards it with compassion. It's then forgiving ourselves, forgive, like you're saying, putting yourself in, why did they hurt me like that? Oh, they were suffering, forgiveness. And then you come to a place where it's, there's not a lot of uh, charge around it anymore. It's not very addictive and it's not, at some point, it's not even very interesting anymore. You know, you break the addiction to the story and the drama and the, and it's just kind of, it, it is what is and you have uh, a loving relationship to your life, to your past, to your pain and the pain of the 8 billion mm -hmm confused beings that we're sharing this planet with. Maybe that's enough for tonight since it's about nine o'clock. I was going to um, tell you my life story <laughs> because somebody brought me a birthday cake. It's like a mystery. I don't know who did this. There's a mystery birthday cake in the refrigerator don't eat it right it could be dosed <laughs> and it's not actually my birthday it was it's my sober anniversary so sometimes we say sober birthday uh, and it's not today it's on day after tomorrow on wednesday is uh, when i celebrate 33 years of continuous <laughs> abstinence and sobriety um so I was going to do some reflections on 33 years of meditation practice and because uh, I, I got sober and I started meditating. Maybe I'll do that a little bit next week. But anyways, if you're here, sorry for those of you at home, and you want to eat some chocolate, questionable chocolate cake. <laughs> Actually, it looks really fucking good. Um, and I, it's like a store-bought, you know, beautiful. I don't think it's vegan. It looks too delicious, but it could be vegan. <laughs> If you're a vegan, Not that uh, vegan sometimes it's so <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> I was like almost, nice. sometimes it's almost good. So help yourself to some cake. And if you, uh, you know, class is done by donation, if you care to, if you feel motivated and would like to um, be extra generous in celebration of my 33 years sober, you could consider making a $33 <laughs> donation to Against the Stream. 
all of the donations are to support the nonprofit to pay the rent and you know just support the activities of of the organization so please consider that being generous uh, if you're here there's a bowl for cash donations or you can venmo if you're at home there's a venmo link uh, in the um in the chat so make some donations there is a little bit of space left in the seven day october uh 7th 10th through 17th retreat in joshua treaty against the stream seven day silent retreat that i'll be teaching um there's not a lot of space left i think my sense is it's going to sell out pretty soon so if you're planning to come register and if you've already registered look forward to seeing you at the retreat I think that's it as far as announcements. That's all I can think of. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions with all living beings. May each one of us to come to have total and complete compassion for ourselves and each other. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.